Hello, welcome to the next episode of the Fit Finance Sessions. My name is Charlie Redding and I run a company called Efficient Portfolio that deliver truly inspirational financial planning. And today I'm joined on the Fit Finance Sessions by three other colleagues of mine at Efficient Portfolio. We've got Tom Senegals, who's one of the financial planners here, Tim Webb, another financial planner here, and Toby Colton, who's a senior power planner. And today's topic is often considered to be a bit of a dry topic. It's not the most exciting uh, thing you'll ever spend your money on, but it could be the most important. Because that is, we want to talk about covering your most important asset, protecting the most important thing that you've got. But what is that asset? Well, of course, it's you. You know, people will very often have car insurance. In fact, it's a legal requirement to have car insurance. It's a legal requirement to have, well, not a requirement, but most sensible people would insure a house if they owned a house or even if they rented it. They'd probably even have their mobile phone insured. But so many people forget to insure the most important asset, and that is themselves. Their ability to generate income, their ability to repay debt, and their ability to look after the people that they care most about. So it might not be the most fun you have with your money, but it is considered by our regulatory body, no less, to be the most important piece of your financial planning because it's a bit that underpins everything else. And so just to cheer you all up, let's start off with some, some statistics around why this stuff is important. So Tim, could you give me a few statistics as to why protecting your most important asset is, is so vital? Absolutely, of course. So I have done some digging and I've got some figures generated by Aviva and Legal in General who are, um, for those of you that don't know, two of the largest insurers out there in the UK at least. Um, and Aviva have come up with some figures saying that three quarters of the families that they um, uh, interviewed, if you like, or, or, or asked, uh, were worried or expressed some concern about financial insecurity and bereavement or um, I suppose prior to that, some illness um, throughout, throughout working, etc., but have done nothing about it. Um, six out of ten, so at least half, have no life insurance whatsoever, um, aside from any that they may have through work, but even fewer for, for illness cover. Um, now, to tag on to that, legal and general have found, um, the, well, just, just how bad the protection gap actually is in the UK. So 13% of employees... Uh, only have a critical illness policy. So that's more than 80% of people don't have critical illness policy and only um, 9% of people have an income protection policy. So I think that just shows, I suppose, most people have some sort of inclination as to what life insurance is, but there tends to be a bit of a, a, a I suppose, a not, not the know-how of how, well, one, income protection works, but two, critical illness policies and what it actually generates. But... I suppose tagging on from Aviva, most people just don't want to do anything about it. They know that there are no implications, they are worried about it, but actually doing something about it are two, two different things, I suppose, aren't they? Absolutely. And do you have any stats? Has anybody heard any stats around what the likelihood is of suffering a critical illness, for example? Well, I think um, it's an old <coughs> one, which I've, I've sort of tagged on to for some years. I think over any given time frame, you're five times more likely to suffer a critical illness than you are to die. Um, so obviously it's much more much more likely. Um, I suppose the reason for many people not having 
those types of policies in place, you know, to, to cover the equity on the side of things, it's probably because of that, um, that comes with five times more cost, or not, not, in, you know, not five times in concrete, but obviously if that's a well-known statistic, then the insurers know that, so they're going to they're gonna bill you um, for doing so, yeah. which probably is most of the reason why people don't um, perceive it to be that important. Um, I think one of the stats that I remember hearing, and I actually should have looked this up beforehand, but I think they say that one in three people will suffer from cancer during their lifetime, yeah, which, which is horrifying, bearing in mind there's four of us in this room, that means at least one of us is on the hook for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when something so serious as that is happening, you you want to be focusing on getting your life, uh, you know, getting healthy as, as possible, looking after the people around you, making the most of, of that time, not worrying about the money side of things. And, and actually, a, a, an example of a client of mine, um, husband and wife uh, uh, clients, uh, and they ran their own business together, and we recommended they put a whole load of protection, financial protection products in place, and they decided not to take my advice. They said, actually, I think, we think we're going to go and do this ourselves, but we, we, we don't want to take your advice, Charlie. Fair enough. Uh, about a year later, I heard from them, and sat very sadly, their, uh, the wife had suffer, uh, been diagnosed with very late stage uh, breast cancer. Uh, and as bad luck would have it, uh, within, the, within 30 days of that happening, the husband fell off his bike and smashed his shoulder to pieces. Uh, and so, it, it, by the way, it turned out they hadn't done any of the protection themselves, so they, were, uh, they didn't have the protection. They did have one policy in place, which paid them a regular income, but none of the, the mortgage protection or anything like that that we'd recommended. And uh, I saw them a couple of years later, and the, the wife said to me, you know, I, I know that not taking advice cost us quite a bit of money, didn't it? She said, I think probably, did it cost us something like £50,000? And I had to say to her, well, look, I'm really sorry, but actually, if you had taken my advice, your £200,000 mortgage would have been paid off. And in addition to that, you'd have had another 150000 in the bank to just help you through that, that worrying time. And she made you know, a reasonably valid point in that she said, you know, well, when I was sick, the last thing I was thinking about was money. But clearly he was thinking about it because what he then said was, I know that you weren't worried. And I kept my mouth shut about money during that time. But ultimately, I was lying awake at night worrying about how I was making the next mortgage payment or how we were gonna how we were gonna get through it. So he, it made it made it a massively more stressful time for him. Uh, so it is a really important thing to do. Um, and you know, as I say, it isn't the most fun you'll have with your money, but it is underpinning everything else. Um, but it's quite difficult to gauge how much life cover you should have, and some people probably don't even need life insurance because they've already made quite a lot of money. So some people over-insure, many people under-insure. How, Tom, could you decide, you know, what's the best level of insurance, what's the right level of insurance for somebody? Sure, so we we build our clients um, something called a lifetime cash flow forecast, and you may have heard us talk about that in in other episodes. Um, However, that's a really good tool to see what would be the impact if suddenly one partner's income wasn't coming in or if they were no longer there. And you can see at what stage would we be potentially be able to self-insure because everyone hates paying for insurance. You only really want to insure against a need that is there, so debt or income um, not being there. Um, but using a lifetime cash flow forecast can show us 
okay, would there be a shortfall if something happened in the next five years, but longer term, would we some, somehow um, accumulate enough assets where we could effectively insure ourselves? Brilliant. Uh, and what is there kind of a, uh, a set approach for individuals to get insurance? You know, is there, Toby, is there a sort of, what things should be people be thinking about when they're thinking about insuring themselves financially? So Charlie, ultimately, uh, there, are, there are two types of um, insurance for, for individuals. You'd usually be looking to protect either your income or you'd be looking to protect a, a capital lump sum. As, um, as you alluded to earlier, so protecting your income, that's things for, for everyday expenditure, really. You know, your grocery shopping, um, potentially your mortgage repayments or something like that. Protecting capital is slightly different. Um, things like mortgage protection, for example, that could pre- uh, provide a lump sum and then that would that would fully repay uh, the mortgage and obviously we'd look to assess that based on, on your current outstanding debt. So they're ultimately the, the, the two types. And should those, uh, would those be paying out in the event of just death or illness or how does that work? So usually you'd look, uh, we try and protect both, both elements. Um, as we mentioned previously, you, you're five times more likely to suffer a critical illness, unfortunately, than, than you are to die. Um, so usually we'd look to cover, cover both elements. And in my experience, actually, critical illness usually costs the family more than death does. I know that sounds like a harsh thing to say, but you know, when somebody's passed away, you've lost their earning capacity for the rest of their life. But if they suffer a serious illness, you may have lost their learning capacity, but you may also have a whole load of expenses and treatments. Um, and it may even be that the survivor needs to take time out of work to care for them. So actually, critical illness can often cost more than, than in the event of death. But I think you're right. You know, I think making sure you've got income and capital in the event of either death or serious illness is uh, absolutely the right way to think about it. And and you mentioned repaying debt. So the common way to do that would be what's called a mortgage protection policy, uh, Tim. Tell, tell us a little bit about that and tell people whether, you know, just do they, do they do this at the start of the mortgage and forget about it or what do they do with, tell us a bit more about mortgage protection. Um, so I suppose it does, what says on the tin, in that, say you had a, a £200,000 mortgage with some repayment basis, you could take out um, mortgage protection, which as Toby says, to cover life and both um, critical illness. So um, one before the other. So if you were to suffer a critical illness and then die, it would only pay out on on you know, the first diagnosis of critical illness. But it would be for a sum assured of two hundred thousand pounds, which would decrease uh, in line, hopefully, with your um, with the with the balance of your of your mortgage. Now, th- when you set that policy up, you can either opt for what's called a guaranteed premium, i.e., the monthly payment that you make for, for said cover stays exactly the same throughout the, the term of the policy, or it can be on a, on a reviewable basis where it starts off lower, and then after perhaps a five or ten year period, um, the life insurance company reviews that, and more often than not, or pretty much all the time, will then bump that um, bump that. Uh, uh, cost up for you, unfortunately. So, um, but assuming we're working on a guaranteed basis, which is what most people do, um, and as I say, that guarantee premium will stay the same throughout the term of the policy. But over the life of your mortgage, obviously the the payments going to come down, or the balance is going to come down. But actually, what we find is, let's say you start paying fifty pounds a month um, as soon as you've taken the policy out. Then after the first five years, 
Um, that's for us, that's for some short of £200,000 then after the first five years you know you've reduced the balance of, of your mortgage let's just say to £150,000 um, but you're still paying that £50 per month for now a lower amount of cover so what an opportunity um, uh, I suppose that pops up at that sort of time is um, you can look to to, to reinsure or re broke re, assuming that you haven't had any major health issues in the meantime um, you might actually be able to get the same amount of cover, but but to reduce the reduce the premium. Um, so you're saying you should really review it every sort of five years, maybe, yeah. assuming you're still as fit and healthy as you were originally. Yeah, I think that's sensible. I mean, obviously you are older, so on their matrix of factors that affect the premiums, you are it is going to be more expensive. Um, I suppose at that point, but as I say, as long as you're keeping fit and healthy and you haven't had any major health concerns in the meantime, you might actually find it's cheaper. So that's yeah. that's going to be good. Okay, great to point out. And, and Tom, do, do, are people better off doing individual policies or a joint policy? Because you can, that's sort of often a conversation that gets had. Yeah, I think, and often a lot of clients that come to us for the first time tend to have joint policies because they're, they're trying to protect both of you. Um, a joint policy is generally cheaper. However, um, having two individual policies often works better because in that basis, you're covering two amounts of the same sum assured and it's generally only 10% more expensive to have two individual policies as opposed to one uh, joint policy. The other key issue is if someone does suffer a critical illness it can leave the um, the survivor or the person who's not suffered a critical illness trying to find cover for themselves at um, a much later date in time and their medical history could change and their age is generally older as well so it's Sometimes paying a little bit more now can can help you later on if the if the worst happens. So essentially, I think what you're saying is you get you're paying ten percent more for but for twice as much cover, which and with a bit more flexibility as well, which seems to make sense. Yeah, yeah. There's less risk. It's slightly more expensive, but the amount of cover is is effectively twice as much. So um, we'd always recommend two individual policies first of all and then but it's always about discussing with the client relative to their budget about what they can afford okay brilliant and I remember uh, years ago when I um, uh, when I was fairly early in, in the industry uh, so this would probably be around about 2002 there was a big change in critical illness policy so critical illness for those that you aren't aware pays out a lump sum in the event of a serious illness and it's just a list of illnesses like cancer, stroke, heart attack all the cheery ones uh, but if you get one of those, then it pays out that lump sum. And years ago, prostate cancer used to be a, a, a definition on these policies. And then they started realising that actually uh, most older men get prostate cancer, but many of them don't die from it. So they actually took prostate cancer off a load of these policies in, in back 2003, probably it was. Uh, and so if you had a policy that predated that, it was worth keeping because suddenly you had, and I've actually had clients that have subsequently received payouts on prostate cancer, even though they've not lost a day of work and their, their mortgage has been paid off because of this. Uh, so there have been significant moments in time where uh, policy definitions have changed for critical illness. But are they, and nowadays, are they all the same? I don't know who wants to answer that question, but are they, are they all... The same, or are there different types of cover that offer different types of definitions? No, I think um, I think it's definitely worth shopping around when it comes to something as important as critical illness cover. As you already mentioned, um, you are more likely, unfortunately, to suffer from a critical illness. Um, it does obviously come at, at a cost, 
But as they say, the most expensive insurance is the insurance that you don't have in place. Um, so or the one that doesn't pay out. Um, yes, yeah, very true. Um, so it's always worth researching um, providers before you do go ahead with a critical illness policy. It's worth looking at their, their underlying terms, as you mentioned, Charlie, due to, uh, to any changes that, that could have occurred, um, particularly with critical illness cover. Um, but also it's important to look at uh, the history of the provider's payouts. Um, some of the cheaper options out there, they're, unfortunately they're, they're cheaper for a reason. If you look at alternative providers, um, which, which can come at a slightly higher cost, sometimes they'll look to pay out, um, if you've got a critical illness policy in place, they may look to pay, and you injure your ankle for example, they may look to pay out a proportion of the capital but then you'd still retain the remaining capital available for future potential illnesses. So um, not all of the cheaper options would, would, would pay out in that instance. One of the examples that I remember looking at when this, so this, what you're talking about now is this comprehensive cover, isn't it? As opposed to, you know, so typically you've got policies out there that will pay, pay out for 30 or 40 different definitions. And then you've got comprehensive policies that will pay out for 161 illnesses, but that will pay out a reduced sum assured on the less serious ones. And the example that I always uh, or looked into a few years ago was for a traditional critical illness policy, you'd need to lose two limbs for it to be classed as a, uh, uh, as, a as a claim. Whereas on a comprehensive policy, if you lost one limb, you'd get 75% of the sum assured. I think from the elbow down, you got 50%. And I think from memory, you might even get 10% of the sum assured for a finger which almost seems like a reasonable trade-off to me, but it depends on how, but you might want to check the definitions on your policy before you go lopping off uh, digits. But um, have you seen any I think there's more competition in the market, and I think um, whilst at the higher end there is this comprehensive or severity-based cover, but I think um, it is worth reviewing a lot of existing uh, critical illness policies, because over the last, I'd say, 18 months, two years, Previously, where there was maybe 25 to 30, that is starting to bump up to 40 and 50. So it is well worth, and, and really not a lot of difference in, in cost. I think it's just as new players come into the market or try and stand ahead and say, well, we'll cover an extra few illnesses, the rest are, are upping their game. And that's sort of a started a snowball effect with cover is getting better. Um, and it's just about making sure, are you covered in the best way or is there something else? Because if you're going to be if you're going to be paying hundred pounds a month or whatever it is for a, a particular set of protection policies, you want to make sure you're getting the best protection possible. Because you know if you do get an illness, you want to make sure it's going to be paying out, don't you? I mean, it's uh, there's not there's nothing worse. Yeah, can I just butt in there some figures? Please do. Yeah, the yeah. Man. So um, <laughs> Vitality Life, who as we alluded to, are um, uh, one of these comprehensive offering type critical illness. Uh, Insurers, uh, in 2016, they paid out 99% of all life claims, 93% of critical illness claims, and 94% of income protection claims. Now, for those of you wondering where that 1% goes with the life claims, that's um, that's to do with suicide and self-inflicted things. They don't they don't cover that kind of thing. Um, but as you can see, you know, we're well into the 90s there, so that's that's good good figures to know if you're considering the trade-off between the you know the additional cost for for traditional and um, comprehensive covers. Well, like I said, I don't actually have the figures for traditional payout percentages, but I dare say it might be. Slightly, it's bound to be a bit less, less than that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but actually, that's a good point. So is there particular types of protection that are more likely to pay out than other types of protection? Are there, 
you know, we always, we've heard a lot about the PPI mis-selling. And, and so is there types of protection that you should go after versus some that you shouldn't? Yes, no, I think there are. I mean, there's quite often clients come to me and say, you know, when I talk to them about income protection or something, they say, oh, yeah, I've got something like that. You know, if I, if I get a small accident or something, I get sick, I, I get, you know, I get a payout. Then when you actually dig down um, further into it, you realise uh, that actually that it would only cover them for up to one to two years if they were to need to claim. Um, so it's kind of a service of whether you want a full fat pint of milk or, or semi-skimmed or even skimmed, to be honest. So there are some out there, such as ASU, accident and sickness and unemployment um, covers, um, which you kind of want to steer clear of. They're kind of the, the half-assed attempt, if you like. It's not really... Uh, the idea of what we're actually trying to do. The point of an income protection policy is to um, provide you with an income all the way through your working life if something were to happen to you. Whereas people think, oh yeah, you know, I've got the I've got the ASU policy in place, or one of these sort of smaller payout claim um, uh, policies in place, you know, I'm done type thing. But actually, if you look into the nitty gritty of it, they're not going to cover you when you're probably going to need it, i.e., all the way through your, your working life if something has happened to you that bad. You know, to make sure that you can't actually work all the way through. And I think the fundamental difference between the two is that with accident, sickness and unemployment, and the same applies to PPI, these policies are underwritten at the point of claim. So you could be paying for this policy for 20 years, suddenly come to claim on it and find out you weren't actually eligible to have the policy in the first place. Mm. Whereas with all of the things that we're talking about here today, so things like income protection, life insurance, critical illness cover... To get them done properly, they should be underwritten at the point of application. So you know everything, you know, as long as you're open and honest in that application, you know that if something if the worst is gonna happen, if it does happen, then you know that you get um, you get that uh, that payout that you need. Um, and is it, if somebody gets a critical illness and the money and the policy pays out, is there a way of getting that uh, cover back again afterwards because often I've seen clients that have you know they've claimed and then they're even more determined to get some more insurance because they now see the importance of it uh, is that ever an option getting cover again yeah some providers do offer um, a buyback option much like your um, no claims bonus which I'm sure all of you are familiar with um, you can some providers offer the same option for critical illness cover so if you do end up claiming on a critical illness policy, the life element can still stay in, stay in force. Alternatively, uh, other providers offer an option whereby if you do claim for an ankle injury, then you can buy back the option for critical illness cover for, for other critical illnesses. Okay, brilliant. And also, I've seen adverts on when I'm walking... Uh, down the, the tube uh, in London for Apple Watches and with life insurance. What's that all about? Yeah, so uh, as we were talking earlier, Vitality offer um, severity-based cover, comprehensive cover. However, they have started a new policy where if you're wearing a fitness tracker, then you can effectively reduce the cost of your premiums. Um, so the more active you are, the less risk you are to an insurer. Um, and there's also a lot of other associated benefits, um, discounts on running shoes, bikes, um, other other things, spa days. Um, but um, yeah, as if you're fit and active, then it, it can significantly reduce the cost of your cover. Um, 
and um, yeah, um, I struggle to get the points, um, but um, I know others are much better at doing it than I, than I do. It depends whether you're training for an Ironman or not. It, it becomes a lot easier to get the points if you're out swimming twice a week and running twice a week and I cycling. Think it certainly helps. <laughs> um, and uh, so, uh, what we've all been, we, so far we've been talking about uh, individuals, uh, but for business owners it's slightly different, isn't it? Um, so for business owners, I think we need to think about ultimately they still need income in the event of illness and income for their loved ones in the event of, of, of death uh, and also capital in the event of death and or serious illness. But actually there's some other things, uh, some other opportunities that business owners get, isn't there? In that, um, for example, they can uh, do their own personal life insurance through the business. Uh, do you know much about that, Tim? Yeah, so it's um, it's what operates in a similar fashion to how a normal life cover operates. On that, it's called was labelled relevant life, um, which basically is just it's the, um, the premium can be put through the company deductible as an expense, so you get corporation tax relief on that. Um, but essentially, it'd be paid out if you were to die, and in turn, it gets paid out to a trust for the benefit of your family. So operates in a similar fashion, but just through the business. Brilliant. And, and, and essentially, if you can save tax, I think that the stats I've seen suggest that relevant life cover usually is about 30% cheaper because of the tax saving. You know, as I said, it's, this isn't the most fun you have with your money. So if you can bring down that cost by 30% just by doing it slightly more tax efficiently, then it makes sense. And so as a business owner, if you have personal life insurance, you really want to look at switching it across to relevant life cover so that you can get those tax savings. But but also as a business owner and obviously as the owner of Efficient Portfolio, I have to think about things slightly differently with regards to protection because there's, there's two key areas that, that we also help clients with, isn't there? In the, uh, firstly, there's what's called key person assurance. So key person assurance is essentially making sure that if something happens to me as an example, but uh, uh, you know any, any significant person in the business, uh, then that's likely to affect the profitability and the value of that business in the future. So key man cover is about making sure that if something happens to me, there's money that drops into the business to make sure that they can recruit somebody to replace me. Uh, they can, uh, you know, it can offset the loss in value because I'm no longer leading the business. It can provide uh, some short-term finance because you know who knows the bank might call in overdrafts and things like that. Uh, it just buys. The business time to get it sorted out and the best example i can remember hearing about was carter and carter i don't know if i've told you guys about this one but uh so carter and carter were valued at, at uh, i think it was around about 12 pounds 70 a share uh in uh in 2007 uh, and then philip carter who was the the non-exec director of chelsea uh very sadly died in a helicopter crash uh, not the same helicopter crash as Matthew Harding, who was also a director of Chelsea at the time, but by coincidence, very uh, similar situation. Um, and Carter and Carter did, were a training company, a very, very successful business. And on the day that he, or the day before he died, that business was worth 500 million pounds. Well, less than a month later, the share price had dropped from 12 pounds 70-ish down to 85p. And within 12 months of his death, that business had ceased trading and was essentially worthless. So his, his spouse would have received the shares worth half, uh, half a billion pounds, 
And it actually, as a result of him dying and the impact that had on the business and the snowball effect him not being in the business had, that became a worthless asset, which is quite astonishing if you think about how a business of that size can disappear um, because of one individual. Uh, and then the second one is shareholder protection. So shareholder protection is where uh, business owners have, um, uh, where they, uh, let me explain slightly better. So if Tim and I both owned a business together, uh, if something happens to me, my will is going to leave my shares to, t uh, to Carol, my wife. So now Tim is going to be wanting to run Efficient Portfolio, but he's going to be sitting across the boardroom table from Carol, my wife. Now, Carol is not going to be wanting to sit there in the board meeting with Tim. She's going to ideally want the money for the value of the business. And Tim's not going to want Carol sitting in the board meeting either because he's going to want to be focusing on running the business for the best reasons, not just getting Carol uh, extracted from a financial point of view. So shareholder protection also makes sure that uh, if some something serious happens to one of the shareholders, that uh, that the, the beneficiary gets money, which is ultimately usually what they want and need, and the other business owners get the shares in the business so that they can run it uh, more effectively. Uh, so, so that's kind of how business owners would look at um, uh, financial protection slightly differently. There's one last area which I want to come on to, which, is, which doesn't apply more to individuals again, but it's more around inheritance tax. So Tom, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, we work with our clients to help mitigate or arrange their estate to protect against inheritance tax. Um, but a lot of those strategies actually take time to, um, to, to go through in order to remove the funds out of the estate. The simplest way to protect in that interim period or to protect the liability as a whole is, is just to insure against it. Um, and that's through something called a hold-of-life hold policy. That is guaranteed to pay out as long as you maintain the premium. Um, and generally, we'd write it on a second death basis to um, to ensure the, the beneficiaries can receive the money to, to pay any inheritance tax bill. Brilliant. And, and is it just as straightforward as doing a life insurance policy, Toby? Or do you need to do anything else to make that inheritance tax planning even more efficient? So, you, yeah, usually, Charlie, um, in addition to the whole of life policy, it's crucial if you're using that for inheritance tax planning to make sure that it gets paid into a trust um, the, the whole of life policies work very effectively as, as Tom mentioned um, in that any of the, the premiums aren't um, as long as they're paid out of regular um, regular income they're not deemed to be gifts for inheritance tax purposes um, in addition getting the premiums paid into a trust that removes the sum assured from the estate so then that doesn't become taxable um, for inheritance tax purposes so yeah realistically there's no point in in uh, having a £100,000 payout to pay a £100,000 inheritance tax bill, if then that just that, adds yeah. to the extra estate and you end up losing £40,000 of, of the policy. So you're absolutely right. It's vital if you're doing inheritance tax planning uh, through life insurance that that policy is written into a trust. Otherwise, you're actually just compounding the, the tax liability. Well, that's us done today for the Fit Finance sessions. I know it's a bit of a dry subject. The talk of death and cancer and, and the like is, uh, is never the most uh, exciting topic, but it actually is one of the most important because ultimately, it doesn't matter how much money you're putting regularly into pensions and ISAs and investments and things like that, if suddenly you lose your income, 
and you, 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 you know, you just can't underpin everything else, and you'll be taking money out of your investment investments to spend them. You know, if you've already got a lifetime cash flow forecast and you know that you've got enough money for the rest of your life, maybe that's not the end of the world. But uh, a lady I met once when I was on holiday in South Africa, uh, who was actually a, a, a financial advisor that had retired um, early because of poor health, uh, said to me over a, a glass of um, uh, very nice South African red wines, I think we were in a game reserve at the time, that she had personally only ever really sold critical illness policies, so policies that paid out a lump sum. She'd never really bothered selling income protection, she didn't have it for herself. And she said, if I ever had gone back into this industry, the one thing I would do more than anything is sell income protection because that's it's all very well having a you know hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, a million pounds uh, in the event of death or serious illness, but you're going to end up spending that money. And that ongoing income is the bit that is really, really important because it underpins everything else. Uh, so that's us done. We've got the subject of protection out of the way. I hope you found it interesting. I hope you've learned a few things. I hope you've maybe worked out how you might be able to either get better cover for your money or indeed pay less money for the cover you've already got. Uh, next time we'll be doing the fit finance sessions. It'll be just after the budget. Now we're going to take a bit of a punt. There's going to be some interesting stuff within the budget. So next time the subject will be the budget. We look forward to seeing you back here then. Thanks very much.